The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. Just before the broadcast today, I went, as I usually do, to a Panera's close by my home to have a quick lunch before I came to do this broadcast. 
I'd spent the morning in prayer, scripture, waiting on God for the message today. A continuation of this message on stealing myself away from God and the necessity that I must return myself to him. There were two brothers there, Christian brothers, two men that I highly respect. They have hearts of love. They are leaders in another congregation, lay leaders in another congregation. And so they saw me in line and waved me over, said, please, pastor, come sit with us. And so we talked for a few minutes as I began to eat about the church and what was happening, their church. And then they turned to me and they said, Pastor, how are you? And I responded, I'm having a bit of a difficult time. I said, I'm trying to deal with this truth that when Adam and Eve partook of that fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they literally stole themselves away from God and they ran away. And when God came in the cool of the evening to find them, they were hiding in the bushes because they were ashamed. They were naked. They had stolen. They were liars. They were thieves. So I began to talk with them about how I've been dealing with that in my heart and recognizing that when the Lord said to me many years ago, you are not your own, you were bought at a price, and I entered into that covenant with him that I would receive only from his hand what he would choose to give me, how little understanding I had of that, how shallow my understanding was, and that as the years have gone by, I have more and more understood what my duty to God is and what it means to enter joyfully, fully into Jesus and trust him with everything and have all sin removed from my life. But I said, I'm I'm having a difficult time with this because even now the Holy Spirit is coming and convicting me of ways that I am still stealing from him and I must leave these things and I have repented of them and I've turned away from them. But I'm very troubled. I have a great fear of God in my heart. I have a fear of sinning. I don't want to sin. I don't want to offend my Lord and my Master. As I began to talk along these lines with them, they took my part against God. Now, my wound does not need a bandage. It's going to have to be probed even deeper. And I want to tell you today, I don't fear that probe. It's the only thing that can save me. I'm not going to try to hide my guilt. I'm not going to turn my eyes away and not see areas that I have stolen from God. I'm not afraid to know the worst about my heart. I must know the very worst of my heart. The sooner that that I know that, the better for me. So I don't want 
to find a a physician who will give me a drug that will cover my sickness. I don't want someone who will side with me against God. Now, it's very clear to me that there can be no heaven except for those who accept salvation from all sin in this world now. I know we must take the gospel as a system that holds no compromise with sin, a system that intends full deliverance from sin right now. Any other gospel is not the true gospel of Jesus. Any other supposed gospel is a false gospel if it does not call for the full renunciation of all sin. Now, you know what they said to me. They said, we are all sinners, pastor. We are all sinners. And when you go to Romans, the seventh chapter, it's very clear that that Paul was still a sinner. It's very clear that Peter was still a sinner. We're all sinners, and we will be sinners until the day we die. And then Jesus will remove the sin from our hearts. This is such a pernicious evil that has come into the American church. It's an antinomianism. It is It is a gospel that is false. But any effort that I made to unveil, they immediately turned it away with the supposed scriptures that teach that you can continue sinning and still be saved. I finally just listened quietly and let them say what they needed to say and then quietly changed the conversation. But this pernicious, wicked belief that I am a sinner after Jesus has washed me in his blood, after Jesus has broken the power of all sin in my life, now I'm still immature, and there are areas of growth, and as the Holy Spirit uncovers things in my heart, I quickly repent of those things. As he reveals to me areas where I still will be stealing from God. Part of the understanding that I've come to is so simple that whatever does not bring glory to Jesus Christ, whatever does not obey him in the building up of his kingdom, whatever that I'm doing that is not unselfish, that is not pouring out my life for others. Anything else is stealing from God. Diving into hours of of the wicked entertainment of our day is stealing time from God. And I spoke yesterday with a Christian brother and sister, and, and he said to me, you know, Pastor, I still had some of these small things in my life. 
And now he said, I'm done. I'm free. But later as I was praying for them, there was a a check in my spirit. I want to explain what that check was and what it means. The check was that there was seemingly a, a casual reducing of the importance of those, quote, small things, unquote. Please understand that no sin in God's eyes is small. No sin in God's eyes is casual. The Lord and heaven look at things much differently than we look at things. On the earth, what seems of vital importance has no importance in heavenly realms. And things that we think nothing of, that we reduce to, these are small little infractions. Those are huge to Jesus and to the angels as they watch in wonder as we turn away from the grace of Jesus. Now I rejoice in this brother and sister because they said, we are done. We are finished with sin. Those things must, in our hearts, grow in great importance and weight. And there must arise in our heart a great fear of sinning against God. And the little things become vitally important. There is no such thing as a small sin. All sin brings death. The wages of sin are death. And if you believe this modern lie that you are somehow covered with the blood of Jesus and these sins do not really matter, you've bought a wooden nickel. You've bought a bill of goods that will cause you to die. Let me read it for you. First John, the third chapter. I'll begin with verse 4. Everyone doing the sin also continues doing the lawlessness. In fact, sin is lawlessness. And you know that the one was manifested so that he may take away our sins. Indeed, there is no sin in him. Everyone who continues remaining in him does not keep on sinning. Everyone sinning has not seen him, neither has he known him. Little children, you must not let anybody deceive you. The one continually doing the righteousness is righteous, just as that one is righteous. The one continually doing the sin is is out of the devil because the devil sins from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested so that he may destroy the works of the devil. Everyone having been born out of God does not continue to sin because his seed is continuing to remain in him and 
He's not able to keep on sinning because he's been born out of God. Or if you go to the book of Romans, the sixth chapter, Romans, the sixth chapter, what then shall we say? continue in sin so that the grace may become more and more? No, certainly not. We who died to sin, how shall we live in it any longer? Or are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? See, this is the issue. Until you're baptized into the death of Jesus, you will continue to sin. There must be a great soul-searching. If you look at verse 11, so also you must think yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but living for God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore the sin must not reign in your mortal body, not your resurrected body, your mortal body, to obey it in the lust of it, and you must not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to the sin, but once and for all yield yourself to God as living out from the spiritually dead men and yield your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin will not rule over you because you do not because you are not under the law, but under grace. And verse 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of grace from God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I could go on and on. The scriptures are so plain about this, but we have believed this lie that this small thing, we are covered by God's grace and we all sin. And am I a sinner? Yes, I'm a sinner. No, I am not a sinner. Let me say that again. Pastor Ray Greenlee is not a sinner. I have been saved from sin. I have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. I do not continue to sin. Can you say that? Can you say, I no longer sin against the Lord? I walk now in righteousness, not my righteousness, his that he has infused into me by faith in Jesus Christ, not by the law, but by another avenue, as Paul speaks about in the first chapter of the book of Romans. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus because it doesn't leave me as a sinner. It makes me a saint. It transforms my life. Now, I want to address a part of this issue. I'm not sure how to even go about it. But I want to show you how serious this is. It's a story out of Joshua, the seventh chapter. Joshua sent the men from Jericho after they had taken it. He sent them to Ai. 
And the the people said, who spied it out, don't send the whole army, just send maybe 3,000 men and they can take Ai. But they were routed by the men of Ai and 36 sons and fathers died that day on the battlefield. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the gate of the city as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people milded and became like water. Joshua tore his clothes. He fell face down on the ground before the ark of the Lord. He remained there till evening. The elders of Israel came and lay on the ground with him before the ark of the covenant, with dust sprinkled on their heads. And this is Joshua's prayer. Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we'd been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this and they will surround us and wipe out our name from the earth. And what then will you do for your own great name? Sounds like a reasonable prayer. Sounds like the prayer of a modern Christian, O oh God. I still sin against you. I don't know what to do. Please help me. The Lord said to Joshua, Stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. I am sober as I read this. Here we have a man who steals from God. Everything in the city of Jericho was to be placed, silver, gold, iron. It was all to be placed in the treasury of God, and everyone was warned, do not touch anything in that city. It is going to be the symbol of the uncleanness of this whole area, and I am going to destroy it. I want you to kill man, woman, child, animal, kill everything in that city. It is under my judgment and God used Israel as the executioner of his judgment because of their great wickedness. And now, in self-confidence, they say, well, let's go up and take that city, and they get whipped. The reason we have so little power in the Christian church today that our whole culture is sweeping the Christian church off the face of the map is because the Christian church has stolen from God. We have said we will run our own lives, 
And then we made up this Calvinistic theology that says we're free to sin. We can't help, but we're, we're always going to be sinners. That's stealing from God. That's lying. It's not true. The blood of Jesus Christ gives us victory over all sin. I don't know how to deal with this. It seems that the hearts and minds of men are set on casual religion, on indifference to the faith of Jesus Christ, to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And I spend my time in the prayer closet crying out, O God, break this indifference. You promised me you would. I stand by faith. This will be broken. And men will begin to confess their sin before you. They will begin to repent. But you see, if you believe that you're saved in the midst of your sin, there's no real need to repent. You're saved. You're you're good to go. Revival comes when Suddenly, men and women begin to see the true nature of their stealing from God. And they begin to see what their duty is, to return to Jesus and to return all that has been stolen from Jesus. Can I tell you what's been stolen from Jesus by many of you listening? False security. A sense of well-being that should only come to a person who has confessed all sin and who has turned utterly and completely away from the wickedness of the devil. But most don't want to do that because they enjoy their professional sports. They enjoy a few of their sins and they excuse them and say, you know, I'm doing the best I can do. That's all I can do. Well, these men from AI went up and did the best they could do, and 36 of them died because a man in their camp had stolen from God. And he'd put it in his own tent. So the next morning, they were to present themselves, tribe by tribe. The tribe that the Lord takes shall come forward clan by clan, and then family by family, and finally man by man. He who is caught with a devoted thing shall be destroyed by fire, along with all that belong to him. He has violated the covenant of the Lord and has done a disgraceful thing in Israel. And so Achan was taken by Lot. And Joshua said to him, My son, give glory to the Lord. Or in other words, Okay, Achan, tell us the truth. Confess what you have done. And Achan replied, It's true. I have sinned against the Lord. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylonia... Let's just stop there a moment. He wants to be dressed in the promised land of God in a devil robe. 
Babylon is the symbol of darkness. It is the symbol of rebellion. It is the symbol of sin. Always in Scripture, there are two cities that stand in contrast to one another. One is Babylon and the other is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of peace, where all sin has been removed. Babylon is Babel, confusion. It's the place of every evil spirit, the haunt of every devil. This man sees a beautiful robe from the wicked city of Babylon, and he takes it. 200 shekels of silver, that's about five pounds of silver, and a wedge of gold, about one and a quarter pounds of gold. These were very valuable. He coveted them. He took them, and he hid them in the ground inside of his tent. He buried them under the floor of the tent. So Joshua immediately sent messengers. They ran to the tent, and they found the robe and the gold and the silver. They brought it, and they spread it out before the Lord. Now, please, what's going to happen on the day of judgment is that your sin will be spread out before the Lord. And if you say, but Jesus, your blood covered it. Your blood hid my sin. He's going to say, no, it did not. The blood of Jesus is never to hide sin. The blood of Jesus is to cleanse and to remove the sin. May I say that again? The blood of Jesus is never used in Scripture to cover sin. The blood of bulls and goats in the Old Covenant covered the sin until the time Jesus would come. And when he died on Calvary, that sin was uncovered, it was forgiven, it was cleansed. But now, under the new covenant, the blood of Jesus never covers sin. It cleanses it. It washes it away. It removes the sin. The blood of Jesus makes us righteous in reality. But if you insist on maintaining that the blood of Jesus is no more powerful than the blood of bulls and goats... How can you be saved? Many on that day will say, Lord, Lord, did we not serve in your church? Did we not do this? Did we not build this? Did we not go here? Did we not heal in your name? In the scriptures, Jesus says, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I don't know you. This is so sobering to me today. I have such a fear of sinning against Almighty God. I don't want to grieve his heart. I don't want to place myself on the devil's ground. I don't want you to either. Joshua, together with all of Israel, took Achan, 
He took the silver and the robe and the gold. They took his sons and his daughters, his cattle, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent. They took everything he had to the valley of Achor. Achor means trouble. And Joshua said, Why have you brought this trouble on us? The Lord will bring trouble on you today. Then all Israel stoned him, and after they had stoned the rest, they burned them. And over Achan they heaped up a large pile of rocks, which remains to this day. And then the Lord turned from his fierce anger. And this place has been called the Valley of Achor ever since. It will be the same for any person who says, I am safe even though I persist in going my own way. Even though I persist in stealing from the Lord. It will be the same. In Hosea, the second chapter, she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my food and my water, my wool and my linen, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will block her path with thorn bushes. I will wall her in so that she cannot find her way. She will chase after her lovers but not catch them. She will look for them but not find them. And then she will say, I will go back to my husband as at first, for then I was better off than now. She has not acknowledged that I was the one who gave her grain and new wine and oil, who lavished on her silver and gold, which she used for Baal, the god of prosperity. Speaking about the children of Israel and their rebellion against God, the Lord is going to take away from America food and water, wool and linen, oil and wine. God is going to bring judgment upon America and upon the Christian church because we have continued to believe that we could walk in our sin and still be right with God. This has basically destroyed the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The pagans look at us and they say, you're no different than I am. And we say, oh yes, I'm different. I'm forgiven and I'm on my way to heaven. And the pagan says, right, right. Believe your fairy tales. Because they see no manifestation of power. They see no change. They don't see you leaving your sin. How are you going to deal with this? The Lord said, I will stop all her celebrations, her yearly festivals, her new moons, her Sabbath days, all of her appointed feasts. I will ruin her vines and her fig trees with which... She said they were given by her lovers. 
I will punish her for the day she burned incense to Baal and decked herself with rings and jewelry and went after her lovers but forgot me. Now these incredibly compassionate, warm, and comforting words are spoken. This is Hosea, the second chapter, verse 14. Therefore, I'm now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her back vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up out of Egypt. And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. I will remove the name of Baal from her lips. No longer will their names be invoked. In that day, I will make a covenant for them. Verse 19, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness, justice, in love, and compassion. It does not say I will betroth you in your sin. It does not say I will betroth you in your sin. And I will cover your wickedness with my righteousness. And so I'll look at you, but I won't see you. I'll just see myself. It doesn't say that anywhere in the word of God. It says, I will betroth you in faithfulness. And you will acknowledge the Lord. And then over in Hosea, the fourth chapter. says there is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There's only cursing and lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bonds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Sounds like the city of Chicago, doesn't it? Sounds like Washington, D.C. It sounds like America. The land mourns, and all who live there waste away. The birds and the fish of the sea, they're dying. In verse 6, my people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also rejected you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I will ignore your children. The more the priests increase, the more they sinned against me. They exchanged their glory for something disgraceful. They feed on the sins of my people and relish their wickedness. And it will be like people, like priests. I will punish both of them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution but not increase because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution, to old wine and new, which take away the understanding of my people. 
and I say, Lord, how do we begin to deal with this? It's very sobering to me. I know the word of God is absolutely clear that we are to leave all sin. And when chapter 7 of the book of Romans is used, I should say misused, for listen to the opening part of chapter 7 in Romans verse 4. So my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit to God. For when we were controlled by the sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our bodies so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Do you understand? When someone says to me, Pastor, we all sin. We're all sinners. I say, then you have not died to what once bound you. You are still being controlled by the old carnal nature. And then you become casual. You become very religious but pride rises in your hearts and you say, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved. And my heart is broken. Now, the truth is that Paul wrote in the analytic present, historical present about his past where he was a sinner. But chapter 7 is describing the life of a person who is still not a Christian. And if Christians take chapter 7 as an excuse for their sin, they too are admitting that they are not truly Christian because they have never died to the sinful nature. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Does that describe a Christian? Are you kidding me? That doesn't describe the life, the normal Christian. That describes the normal life of a pagan. The question, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, Jesus comes and delivers us from this law of death, from sin. Therefore, there is now no condemnation. This is Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. If you have not been set free, my brother, my sister, 
if you have not been set free from the law of sin and death, you are not truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Any gospel that does not proclaim total freedom from sin is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. So now we do not live under the law, we live under the Spirit of the living God. And the blood of Jesus totally breaks the carnal nature. We no longer live by it or walk in it. We walk in victory in the name of Jesus Christ. We are freed in Jesus. What a wretched man I am, walking in the wickedness of my carnal nature. But I was freed by Jesus Christ. If I say to you, brother, sister, if I say I'm saved, what do I mean? I mean I'm saved from sin. What else would I need to be saved from? I'm I'm saved from sin unto righteousness. I'm saved from sin, disobedience, thieving, stealing, lying. I'm saved to righteousness, innocence, purity before God. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And then it tells us in verse 11 that the Holy Spirit comes and gives life to our mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in us. Verse 13 If you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I don't want to steal from God. I don't want to steal from the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to steal. I don't want to lie. And I will not. So all that I am, I bring and I give to Jesus. My time, my money, any imaginary prestige, my family, the people I dearly love, 
I bring you all to Jesus. I make no claims of ownership. I hide instead under the wing of Jesus Christ, and there he gives me glorious victory and joy and peace. And when he begins to expose an area of stealing from God, I quickly ask for the probe of the Holy Spirit to get right down to the bottom of it and expose it in its fullness that I might repent of it, that the blood of Jesus would quickly break its power and I would restore to God anything I've stolen from him. Some of you have stolen your tithes and your offerings. You've stolen your time. You sit by the hour in the world's entertainment. You, you've stolen your, lo- his, your loyalty to him. You've become cynical and hard-edged. Some of you are angry and bitter. That's stealing from God. I want for you to come out of all indifference. I want for you to step out of yourself and into Jesus Christ. I want you to be hidden in Jesus, not in religion, but in righteousness, in holiness, in humility of heart. Now, please, I did not always believe as I am teaching you today I was taught a different gospel. From childhood forward, I was taught a different gospel. It's only been in the last 25 years that I've begun to understand the desperate need for repentance and returning to Jesus and asking him to open the gates of righteousness. My eyes were blinded. So I make no claim of being somebody for having shared what I did with you today. Pardon me, I can only tell you that I'm sharing with you out of a lifetime of searching after Jesus. I have for my entire conscious life from the time of childhood been hungry for Jesus and searched after him with all of my heart led astray, deceived, not understanding. I continued the search. I wish someone had said to me what I'm saying to you many years ago. My life would have been much different. But I thank Jesus that he has been so kind to me to unveil the truth about righteousness and salvation and that I have the incredible privilege of coming, talking with you about it, and instructing you in the way of righteousness. There are so many delusions in the world today, in the church. There's so many delusions. There's so many false teachings. It means we need to spend hours searching in the scriptures and not be self-assured in what we think is truth. Almost everything I have learned through seminary and through my early ministry, I've had to cast away because it was a false gospel. I continue to grow. The Holy Spirit 
He groans for me in my weakness. He searches our hearts. He's searching your heart right now. We're out of time for today, for this broadcast. I want to ask, please, if if this broadcast has been important for you, that you would go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you'd listen to other broadcasts and you'd share it with friends, and you would call people to follow Jesus. I also invite you to come and, and worship with the National Prayer Chapel. Walk with the people who are earnestly seeking Jesus, who are seeking in every way the probing of the Holy Spirit, who claim the blood of Jesus will do its work. My brother, my sister, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. I pastor the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you today. Pray for me and I'll pray for you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Great joy with great joy Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless for the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ